0: Roger that, Houston. All systems 5x5. Five but five. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her,
1: you bitch!
2: Hi, Bruce. I'm Batman.
3: Do no. or oh, do not. There is no tomorrow.
1: Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got.
3: Dan Watkins. Ian Mayer. Peter Johnson. John Farber.
1: And I'm Hazel Burton. On our 60th episode today we have got our film buff or film draft quiz and also Dan has concocted a little something for us. What have you got for us Dan?
3: It's called Getting to Nerd You and it's a little feature where we find out more about our resident nerds and their things they like, the things they don't like and their experiences of being nerds. Ooh. They're peccadillos. <laughs> Those as well. <laughs>
0: My peccadillos are all over the internet for anybody who is interested in them. You can find them easily on most disreputable websites.
1: Brilliant. So let's get started. So, happy, happy fifth anniversary, everybody. Woo! Wow. Uh, it's been five years since we were all in a pub. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> At all?
1: Uh, yeah. It
0: feels like five years. <laughs> so in
1: 2015, we were in a pub talking nerdy stuff, um, stuff that we were looking forward to. Um, and then Ian came up with the idea of going to see uh, Mad Max Fury Road and created a messenger thread to organize the logistics. And yeah, that's how Nerdfest was born five years ago. So happy anniversary yeah. to us. <laughs>
3: yeah. I remember that cinema trip very well. The drive back after we'd watched Mad Max Fury Road. My head couldn't compute that I was just driving up the A1 motorway and I wasn't actually on the Fury Road being chased by (laughs) Duke Warriors and Imperators and things like that mind-blowing cinema experience what a good way to start off this group
0: i was i was strapped to the front of dan's ford fiesta <laughs> in spandex <laughs> with an electric guitar so it was a uh, confusing
2: for all concerned yeah i didn't know you guys then but i was just spraying silver spray paint in my face <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> oh my hallucinating vividly so in a way i was with you
1: at the time, I thought that a uh, you know a, a film about a post-apocalyptic wasteland where resources are scarce and everyone's wearing masks was a bit far fetched. You
0: know, <laughs> changed
1: my opinion on that now. But, wow. Uh, yeah, memories.
0: I made a terrible mistake this week. I, I, I uh, thought I'd have a bit of escapism, so I bought a, a new computer game that Ian, that you worked on, yeah, I believe, Ian Mayer. I, I, the Division, by any chance? The Division Two. I thought that's a nice yeah. bit of
2: escapism. No, not the best choice of happy game at the moment. Yeah, a pandemic uh, overrunning the world and, you know, particularly the USA and Washington and people taking to the streets. Yeah. (laughs) Funnily enough, there is an amazing article, which I think is on Kotaku, about it's either a surgeon or a doctor, certainly someone working in the American Health Service, who right now is dealing with COVID, then going home and playing The Division 2. And now this strikes me as insane, but he's getting some weird relief about going home to a situation he can control. In this computer game. Wow. (laughs) Let's talk about something else. How are you guys? You're out looking. You're out looking very well.
1: I did look to see if there was a way um, of seeing how many messages are in our Facebook thread since that first day. But I would hazard a guess at several million because we we do chat every single day.
4: (laughs) It does feel like it.
1: I didn't find those numbers, but I did find um, some other numbers. So are you ready for a stat attack?
0: Oh, stat attack! Yes, just to stay with with <a> always. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, okay, so since May 2015, we've experienced 13 Marvel films together, five new Star Wars, one new Star Trek, five new X-Men films, two John Wicks, eight Pixar films, and three billboards outside Emin, LA, Missouri. <laughs> 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 So yeah I, I was feeling all nostalgic when I was putting all of that together and I just thought I would ask what's been the best thing about Nerdfest for you guys?
3: The first thing that comes to mind for me was in our first year the first Oscars sweepstake that Hazel organised for us which she very kindly does every year and now does live on the podcast. The first one had a prize of a darth vader cereal bowl which i still use at work when (laughs) i'm allowed to go back there again we had to make a short video of our nominated film and i got fury road so i went to a local beach in northumberland and tried to recreate fury road with toy cars on a sand dune
1: yeah we'll have to put that up on our thread it was amazing
3: oh and uh, i got attacked by a bear didn't i from... You did, you did The Revenant. Yes,
4: with a <laughs> soft toy.
3: And I'm sure Ian McLaughlin did uh, Room, but he hadn't seen Room and didn't bother to read what Room was about. Yeah. <laughs> and it was some surrealist masterpiece, but it had nothing to do with the film.
1: Yeah, that's that's a nice memory. How about you, John? What's been your favourite? So I, mean, I think all the
0: cinema trips I'm very fond of as well. And the times in the pubs after the cinema trips, particularly where we disagree about films, hmm and uh, a heated debate over, over several pints yes. about the relative merits of Terminator Genisys. Which
3: of the we've point. turned
1: into a feature for the podcast, which is called Nerd Court.
3: Yes. Where
2: you get Drim can argue about various films.
3: I think we also, uh, during these five years, are three-time Timeside Cinema Star Wars quiz <laughs> champions, still undefeated. Yeah. We are, yes. When you say we, you well. mean basically you and Sean, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it does mainly mean me and Sean. But even so, we are a team. <laughs>
4: I I think for me, it's not any one thing. It's just knowing that there's always somewhere you can, um, you have a bunch of people to talk to and whatever it is you want to say, that they'll understand what you mean. And uh, that's not always the case. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. I'm sure you all enjoy waking up on a morning to several 2am messages from me complaining about whatever shit I found on Amazon
2: Prime (laughs) that evening.
1: Yeah, whatever Gary Netflix has got you into that particular day.
2: I don't think I've known you five years, actually. I mean, it feels like I've known you all a long time in a, in, a, in the best possible way.
1: I remember when you joined, actually, because we hadn't met you, but Ian had been uh, teaching you in workshops mm. uh, and had obviously talked to you afterwards in the pub <laughs> and find out you were very, very nerdy, just like us. So he added you, and there was some kind of confusion um, that we thought that Ian McLaughlin had just made himself mayor of Nerdville. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: awesome
1: uh but then we obviously got to got to meet you in person and got to know you got to love you and um you're, you're <sighs> probably okay. the nerdiest of us all now <laughs> i uh,
2: i don't think that's true for a second but like i feel i'm like, kind of like an orbiting member trapped in the void for many many years just occasionally producing weird reports for you guys on like particular subjects but definitely definitely the chat the camaraderie um because you know making your way in the world today takes Everything you got, taking a break from all your worries, sure does help a lot. Uh, wouldn't you like to get away? Because sometimes you just want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. Uh, you want to go where? I'll stop now. But, uh, yeah, no, I've thoroughly enjoyed knowing you guys. It's great. It's it's. I'm not from like Newcastle around here, and I I I find your friendship important and and it makes it feel like home so thank you oh
1: no it's true like these these past five years have been generally the best years of my life and um it my life is very different now than it was five years ago um and i have you guys to thank for that for your friendship for your support yeah yeah you you're like family and i know i'm getting all soft but i really really mean it i don't get the chance to tell you often it's amazing i think what we have
2: Ah. <laughs> and all it takes is a five-year anniversary <laughs> and a global pandemic first us to reveal a fraction of our personal feelings i'm i
0: fairly very glad that seb asked you to do the dollar one of our gigs many many years ago <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: i did think like oh I have, i've been doing improv workshops for over five years i should really be better at it than i am now um it uh feel free to stay silent it's fine <laughs>
2: No, no, no! <laughs> You're very good, Hazel. Don't <laughs> let anyone tell you otherwise.
1: <laughs> it's a yeah. It's it's been it's been brilliant, and long may it continue. So now it's time for our film buff or film bluff quiz. Now, if you haven't listened to this before, this is where we all have three nerdy facts. Uh, Two of them are true, but one of them we have made up. So we've got to try and work out and you can play along at home which one the bluff is. I've got a a bit of a fifth anniversary theme for mine. I have for you the fifth film by three different famous film directors. Two of them, it's generally their fifth film, but one of them isn't their fifth film. So can you work out which one it is? Um, so we've, these are directing credits only, so acting credits don't count. Um, and we're only talking about feature films that were released theatrically.
4: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Number one, Batman Returns was Tim Burton's fifth film. Number two, Panic Room was David Fincher's fifth film. And number three, Lost in Translation, was Sofia Coppola's fifth film. Which is a lie.
0: I know the answer to this, so I'm
3: going to let people guess.
4: Mm. It's the last one feels dodgy to me, I'd say.
3: Before Lost in Translation, Sofia Coppola, did she direct The Virgin Suicides? Yeah. Was that her? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the only one by her I can think of from before then.
2: I think that's after... Austin translation.
0: So if we go through them, Tim Burton. Batman. Batman, Beetlejuice. Yeah. So is that in between Batman and Batman Returns. Yeah,
2: his first film is Pee-wee's it's...
3: Big Adventure.
2: Yeah. Uh,
4: at least one Pee-wee.
0: So we've got Pee-wee, or we've got Batman, we've got Beetlejuice. Edward Scissorhands. And Frankie Weenie was a short.
2: Yeah. Okay.
4: Okay, so we're satisfied with that one. Um, David Fincher, you've got Alien, Alien 3. 3 hmm The game.
0: Seven. Um, seven and fight, fight Club. Club. So that would make...
2: Yes. And as none of us can think of another Sophia Coppola film...
3: I think Lost in Translation <laughs> may be her debut. I do as well. I still think Virgin Suicides came first because Kirsten Dunst was a teenager in that, I'm sure.
2: Hmm. But would there have been three other films? Also...
0: I know that Hazel watched Lost in Translation again the other day, so that's probably why it's in her mind.
1: Maybe.
2: <laughs> I think I'd have to go for Sphere Coppola. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too.
1: Yeah, you know your you know your films and your years. Um, you have got everything bang on. Um, so <laughs> let, let let me clear up the Virgin.
2: Uh, oh, <laughs> never by six The Virgin. <laughs> ah. <laughs> it's not. Uh, no.
1: So, no. Sophia Coppola obviously wasn't going to count this. Um, Her first film was a short film called "Lick the Star," which actually is the name of my my sex tape. tape. (laughs) 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 Um, The Virgin Suicides came out in 1999. Um, uh, Translation was her second feature film, uh. Uh, uh, which came out in 2003. And yes, I did. I did watch that a couple of days ago, having not enjoyed it the first time that I watched it when it came out. And I think I was about 18, um, and how clearly wrong I was. I loved it. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> so well done, everybody.
0: I still have a little in love with Scarlett Johansson in that film.
1: Is it a particular part of Scarlett Johansson that you might be in love with?
0: <laughs> Well, I, I think it I, means probably, I actually am a little bit in love with Sofia Coppola because she was essentially playing Sofia Coppola in that yeah. film, wasn't she?
1: I did I did remark as well when I was watching, Like she hasn't changed her pants once. It's the same <laughs> pair of pants. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Has anybody else watched um, Devs yet? I'm not particularly far through
4: it. I'm only one episode off the end.
0: There's a weird thing in Devs that they're obsessed with showing the lead actress in a very, very short pair of pants walking out of bed or walking around her bedroom. It seems to happen just in every single episode for no reason. It's very strange. There's a reason. Yes, but there's, a <laughs> <laughs> there's an extra textual reason, but within the narrative, there's no reason.
1: Who's next?
2: My Buff or Bluffs is about similar things in geekdom and which predates which. So I'm going to give you uh, three descriptions. Of, you'll see what I mean. Three descriptions of, of famous things in geekdom, and you will have to decide which one the order is right and which one is the order is wrong. This will make more sense as I do it. So, okay.
1: <laughs> oh, this will make sense when you do it. <laughs> more
2: sense, just <laughs> <Yeah>. sense. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm quite high right now. And this was written very quickly. So here we go. Okay, Book Rogers, space opera hero from Earth who finds himself in an alien world. It was first published in a short story called Armageddon 2419AD, and it predicts a number of real-world things, including bazookas and air combat being vital to land war. This predates Flash Gordon, the famous space-opera superhero from Earth, who finds himself in an alien world. The SHIELD Helicarrier, which is the hovering aircraft carrier that transports, covert world-saving organizations SHIELD around the Marvel Universe, predates the Spectrum cloud base, the hovering aircraft carrier that transports covert world-saving organization's spectrum around the world, which is, of course, on the TV puppet action show Captain Scarlet. Robert E. Howard's famous barbarian Conan, who travels around a world influenced by um, European mythology, predates Cull of Atlantis, the Robert E. Howard barbarian who travels around a world influenced by European mythology. Which one of these is incorrect?
4: That's Cull as in Cull the Conqueror.
2: Cull the Conqueror, yeah. Originally called Cull of Atlantis, made famous by Frazetta paintings. I
0: mean, the Avengers started 1970s, the Avengers maybe, or the the first Avengers comics.
3: Oh, I think they were in the 60s. The
4: helicarrier wasn't necessarily
3: from then. Yeah. And when was Captain Scarlet first on? Because I remember it when I was growing up in the 90s, but those were surely repeats.
4: Mm. I think it's mid to late 60s, isn't it? Sort of around the same time then.
1: Trying to read Ian's face. <laughs> he's, like going, he's going... All we're getting is a smirk from Ian.
0: <laughs> mm. Conan the Barbarian. That was like 1920s, so that was very early. I have to admit, I don't know anything about Cold the Conqueror, so that would be a complete guess.
3: Flash Gordon was 30s as well because George Lucas grew up with Flash Gordon mm. cereals not to eat.
0: <laughs> did Buster Crab play both of them, or am I just imagining that completely? I think life? he did.
2: I believe Buster Crab did indeed play both of them.
4: One was like a response to the other, wasn't he, in the movies? Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that that one came first.
2: Absolutely, and they and that kind of thing was very, very popular. There's also things like King of the Rocket Men, other um, like cinema serials.
1: Could you just do a quick... Summary of all three again.
2: Sure. So space opera heroes, which came first? Book Rogers or Flash Garden, Both um, guys from Earth who find themselves on an alien world um, and become a kind of hero in that world. Then you have the flying aircraft carriers. You have the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier that transports S.H.I.E.L.D. and various heroes around the Marvel Universe. And also Spectrum Cloud Base from Captain Scarlet, which is a uh, puppet show by Gerry Anderson. And then you have the two Barbarians, both by Robert E. Howard. Conan the Barbarian and Cull of Atlantis, also known as Cull the Conqueror or Cull the Barbarian. The first
0: one, I think Book Rogers might have come before Flash Gordon. So that would be correct.
3: I am going to go with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Captain Scarlet because they are the two I'm most familiar with. <laughs>
1: about to say the exact same thing. That's the only reason I'm going for it, because I have no idea, that I know those two things.
4: <laughs> so for variety, I'm going to go for Kull the Conqueror, okay. being the one that's wrong.
1: Ba, 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 ba.
2: Going in order, Buck Rogers does indeed predate Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon dated as January the 7th, 1934, and Buck Rogers, quite a bit before it, August 1928. Whoa. You say
4: quite a bit, but it's like six years, nearly a hundred years ago. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely. But it's funny that now one of them is still quite well known, whereas the other isn't. The, the book Roger's short story, Armageddon 2419 AD, you can find it online. It's very short, well worth read. It's really ahead of its time. There's a ton of really cool and interesting stuff in there. Flash Flashgorn's a lot more, a lot flashier with kind of... <laughs> Um, kingdoms and animal men and that, that kind of thing. the name. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but Rogers does predate it and, um, and is a clear influence on it. The S.H.I.E.L.D. Helicarrier does indeed predate um, Spectrum's cloud base. Um, the S.H.I.E.L.D. Helicarrier debuted in, uh, I forget which comic, but it's August 1965, whereas cloud base uh, came on the TV in September 1967, which means by process of elimination, Cull of Atlantis... By Robert E. Howard predates his other barbarian character Conan the Barbarian. Call of Atlantis or Call of the Conqueror is a far more, not that I've read this actually, but he's a, apparently he's a far more introspective and, and kind of less pulpy hero.
4: A thoughtful barbarian. <laughs> yep,
2: yeah. he's, he's a lot more grounded than Conan the Barbarian, who runs around fighting wizards and and getting into all kinds of scrapes. So Peter is correct.
0: Yay! Hey. <laughs> Was it a Call of the Conqueror film? Yeah. Yes. I've never seen it, but I remember it having quite a lurid VHS cover and uh, wanting to rent it as a child from the video shop and not being allowed to because it was perhaps not suitable for my childhood eyes.
1: Didn't you watch The Exorcist when you were like six?
0: I watched The Nightmare on Elm Street when I was seven.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and <laughs> I watched Robocop, I think, when I was eight or nine. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think I'm, I've <laughs> told this story in the podcast before, haven't I, but my mum thought it was like Transformers. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so put it on and then went upstairs to do the (laughs) ironing, and
4: came down to a
2: traumatised (laughs) John
3: well Robocop had a cartoon didn't he
2: yeah he did later Mm -hmm. on there's also an aliens cartoon which struck me as insane like an aliens for kids yeah yeah absolutely do look it up how on earth does that work amazingly well Uh, and there's great toys as well for like the kids aliens Uh, it's well worth checking out
3: wow Robocop also made a couple of wrestling appearances in the early 90s um, in <laughs> World Championship Wrestling in Atlanta, um uh, or based in Atlanta, uh, he teamed up with the wrestler Sting, not to be confused with the singer Sting, and uh, fought the bad guys. So, uh yeah, RoboCop is a professional wrestler as well as the future of law enforcement. Excellent, <laughs> nice. And speaking of uh RoboCop and the history of NerdFest, was RoboCop not the first ever shameful gap?
1: It was, yeah, in that very first episode. Yep. yep. Watch it for the very first time.
3: I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Shall I go next? I'm treating myself in lockdown to a overly elaborate book box set, which is absolutely amazing. It's called Vic Baker Metamorphosis.
4: Oh, right. The, the makeup guy.
0: The makeup guy, a special effects guy who's recently retired. And it's basically a lavish illustrated book about his entire career from when he was a kid until 2019. It's two volumes um it's about the size of a microwave as louise called it it's, a, you know, it's very very heavy <laughs> won't fit on a single shelf in my house but if you want a luxury coffee table book that could actually serve as a coffee table <laughs> then i really would recommend it i think it's like about 1500 pages and it just covers all these films in amazing detail and some amazing behind the screen sh- scenes shots of Things like American Werewolf in London and Gremlins Two and that sort of thing. It's it's a a real, real recommended read. I got it on sale, but the RRP is two hundred pounds for the book. <laughs> so it's hideously, you know. But if if you want to if you want to treat yourself, if you're going out, buddy, that's not been spent on going out. It's a it's it's a real recommendation. But arising from that, I have some Vic Baker Before Plus for you. Sorry. I'll start again second. So, I'm quite sniffly today, so I've got really bad hay fever.
2: I think um, I think there's a bug going around. <laughs> I, I've heard that, yeah. oh, <laughs> okay, so, My Before Bluff,
0: um, based on that book, is three facts about Rick Baker. Fact number one the cantina scene in the original Star Wars features a wide variety of aliens, some of which look quite cheap and shoddy. The reason for this is, to fill up the cantina, Rick Baker just pulled up any old old masks and creatures that he had sat around his workshop and brought them in, not realising that George Lucas would actually shoot close-ups of some of them, thinking they were just going to be used as backdrops. Fact number two is that Vic Baker did the special effects for Men in Black But what you may not know is the famous scene in Men in Black where they show humans that are actually aliens and there's a picture of Michael Jackson amongst them. That's not actually Michael Jackson. That's Rick Baker in prosthetics from a previous piece of work that he did with Michael Jackson as an in-jerk. And fact number three, Rick Baker worked on the ill-fated 1970s remake of King Kong where he was the man in the King Kong suit running around destroying buildings. He came on at the last moment, after they spent $1.7 million trying to build a 40-foot-tall, life-sized King Kong robot, which they only realised at the last minute couldn't actually walk or move, and it is on screen for a total of 17 seconds before oh. being replaced by Rick Baker.
4: Is this the Dino de Laurentiis Kong? Yes. Bizarrely, I read an entire paperback book about the making of that movie. I had that paperback
0: book. It's excellent. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Even more bizarrely. I think they only built a giant hand for that movie to do the close-ups, so I have my doubts about that one. The uh, Star Wars one, I'm sure Dan will know that that one's definitely (laughs) true.
3: Yes, I've read something very, very similar to that in J.W. Rinsler's Making of Star Wars Uh coffee table book, which, again, if you want a set of books for your coffee table, or indeed to be your coffee table.
0: I should say the, um, the Rick Baker book is actually written by J.W. Winsler.
3: Oh, well, there you go. Recycling is material.
0: <laughs> it's very, he's working on an Aliens book at the moment, which is due out this year, which I'm very much looking forward to. Yeah,
3: great film historian. Yeah.
1: I can very much imagine George Lucas going, eh, it'll be all right.
2: That um, first fact does explain why Satan and the Wolfman are hanging out in a, in a bar on the Tatooine. Yeah, it's definitely
4: true, that first one.
3: Yeah, Satan, of course, being recanonized in The Mandalorian recently.
4: Yes. The Michael Jackson project. Was MIB before or after Thriller? I think it was after, wasn't it?
0: Considerably after. So Rick Baker worked with Michael Jackson on Thriller. He was responsible for the werewolf and zombie effects. And also he was responsible for the history tour. Do you remember the giant statue of Michael Jackson, which I think was used in one video? Yeah. That was Rick Baker as well. So he's done a couple of things where he had face casts of Michael Jackson.
3: Now I was under the impression that Michael Jackson cameoed as himself in one of the Men in Blacks because he appears on the screen as an agent.
0: He's not an agent. They have a a big screen of pictures of people that are actually aliens in disguise on Earth.
2: I actually think I know this. Because Rick Baker did an interview with Mike Marin, which covered a couple of these points so i will leave my answer to the end oh please
1: is it men in black two right not men in black one
2: i think it's the first one but i wouldn't like to swear
1: on it i can sort of see it hmm.
4: i can only see his cameo in back to the future Two. Mm-hmm. that's all i can see in my head
3: i'm gonna go with the men in black one as the bluff the michael
4: jackson
0: one
3: Yeah.
4: Was the fact for the third one that it was Rick Baker in the suit, or was it that they built a huge giant robot that didn't work?
3: It
0: was him in the suit. I think that's common knowledge. But the fact is I came on after the the 40-foot robot that they built turned out to not work in any way whatsoever.
4: Okay, uh, I think I'm going to pick that one, King Kong, as the one that's false.
1: Yeah, me too.
2: I'm going to go with Men in Black.
1: Oh,
0: Ian and Dan, you are correct.
2: Uh, It is a picture of
0: Michael Jackson in Men in Black. It's not Rick Baker in Michael Jackson makeup. (laughs) Yeah, the cantina, the werewolf is the famous one. But there's a quick shot of a second werewolf. And that is essentially just a mask of the universal wolfman that they (laughs) bought in a store and stuck on somebody in the background.
3: I may be wrong, but I think in the most recent versions of Star Wars, some of these cantina aliens no longer appear.
0: That's correct. They've been CGI'd out by George Lucas. McClunky. <laughs>
2: <laughs> in the uh, Mark Moran interview, he talks about bringing like masks and props for the cantina scene. Um, and apparently it wasn't George Lucas who shot that, it was a second unit. And people were disappointed they'd use them in such close ups. But mm-hmm. well, that was the footage they had. So that's what they cut together. And the robot King Kong, they had press tours to the set. And they'd show them footage of the film and then show them this amazing robot which was meant to be in it. But the journalists soon cottoned on that this robot wasn't finished yet and they were seeing footage of King Kong in the film. (laughs) But yeah, he did state that the robot was barely used at all.
0: And yeah, I think they said it spent 1.7 million, right? I've heard different figures from half a million up to 1.7 million. And in the end, it appears in one scene for, I think, 17 seconds of screen time. Peter is correct that they also built big, large Kong hands for when he's interacting with Jessica Lang and people like that. And then when they arrived, they'd made two right hands.
4: Yeah, that's <laughs>
0: true. <laughs> but that entire shoot sounded a little bit chaotic.
1: Who's next?
4: I've got three facts which are unusual links between things. The first one is that the director of Quadrophenia devised the BBC cookery show MasterChef. For the second one, Firefly and the recent Death Race remake are both set in the same cinematic universe. And the third one is that Bucharest, the capital of Romania, has a life-size model of Christopher Lee as Dracula, which he didn't give permission for.
3: <laughs> I know there is a city in Eastern Europe that has a statue, I think, of, is it of Colombo. Or a TV detective. (laughs) And I'm wondering whether that is in fact Bucharest and not Christopher Lee. Romania, Transylvania. But I'm wondering whether it is in fact somebody else and there's a little sneaky Christopher Lee trick. I can't remember where it is that has the statue of Columbo.
4: Yeah, because Dracula's the next thing you think of after Columbo. (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) It's either a raincoat or a cape, one of the two. So... Firefly and Death Race being in the same cinematic universe. I believe the showrunner on Death Race is, w- is a Whedon alumni. I forget the guy's name.
4: Death Race was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Oh, that one? Yeah, that one.
2: Ah, I thought there was a TV show as well. Well, there
4: was something vaguely similar on Sky about a year ago.
2: Don't I, you I mean? may have been getting that confused. There was a a car violence game show Yeah, show-ish that's the
4: one. Which I quite enjoyed in a trashy sort of way. Uh, Okay, I'm getting things confused. So this is Death Race, the remake of the Roger Corman movie.
2: In which case then, MasterChef and Quadrophenia. I think that's true, not because I know that one, but because of the weird links between film directors and writers and things that turn up on the BBC. Like um, Stephen Knight, the Peaky Blinders guy, is one of the inventors of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. People who've worked in these fields just sort of float around together. I love the fact that there's an unofficial Christopher E. Dracula statue anywhere in the world, so I want that to be true. But why I particularly think the second one is a bluff is because there is another Paul W.S. Anderson film that has a, a universal link to another property, which is Blade Runner. Would that be Soldier? Via, like, one reference is in the same universe. Panhouser Gate? Yeah, Tan Howe's a gate is, uh, is in Blade Runner.
4: Because David Peoples, who wrote the script for Blade Runner, also wrote Soldier.
2: Correct. The
0: idea that Christopher Lee didn't approve the statue, do you have to give permission for a statue to be made of you?
4: It's maybe one of those things that would be polite, but he's on record as saying he never approved it. Hmm. Apparently he doesn't have his mouth open in the classic pose. I don't know whether it's that they couldn't make it in bronze or uh, that they were worried people would snap the fangs off but he's got his mouth shut.
2: And also it's Peter Falcon, (laughs) not Christopher Lee. So it's Christopher Lee in fancy clothes. You can't even tell it's Dracula.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's the one I think is made up only because Christopher Lee was quite an imposing gentleman. So I think if there was an unofficial statue that he didn't approve of, he would ask them to take it down quicker than you can say Saruman.
0: Well, I know with the first one, I know if you've ever seen the pilot of MasterChef, there's a bit where Phil Daniel comes on and goes, oh yeah, he stole my Regano. Is he on a scooter? On a scooter, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I know that's true. I think I've heard the Christopher Lee statue. I don't know if it's in Bucharest, but there certainly is a statue of Christopher Lee as Dracula somewhere. So I think the Firefly Death Race one is
3: a lie. Okay. Who's going for what? I'm going to go with Bucharest.
1: Yep. Yeah, me too.
3: I could be wrong about Columbo, and I will look it up after this recording. But I'm going to go with it anyway. Ian? I'm going Death Race.
4: Okay. Well, the first one about Quadrophenia and Masterchef is true. Frank Rodham, who directed Quadrophenia, also devised Masterchef and supervised when it became what it is now. Firefly and Death Race are part of the same cinematic universe, as they both mention the fictional corporation Weland Yutani from Alien. In Firefly's pilot, you see a little Wayland Yutani logo on the head up display for the weapon they're using. And in Paul Anderson's death race, the company that runs the prison island they race around is weyland Yutani. Paul Anderson obviously directed Alien vs. Predator afterwards, but he'd also written a spec script for Alien 3 or 4, I was told by a mutual friend. The fake one was the statue of Christopher Lee as Dracula. And it was based on, as Dan guessed correctly, the idea of the statue of Peter Falk as (laughs) Colombo in the streets of Budapest.
3: Budapest. Right. I don't have to look (laughs) that up now. Uh,
4: Apparently it has his dog by him as well, and all the passers-by like to rub the dog's head for luck, so it's now really smooth.
0: That happens to the one near you, Dan, doesn't it, in Edinburgh?
3: Not so much now that there are no tourists allowed, but uh, in the past people have gone and uh, touched the nose of Greyfriars Bobby outside Greyfriars Churchyard But look Mm -hmm. It's not a thing. If you ever come to Edinburgh on holiday, it's not a thing. Don't do it. You're just ruining the statue.
0: Yes, and don't do it particularly during the fringe when everybody's running 20 minutes late for their next show and has to try and navigate (laughs) hundreds of tourists all trying to touch a bronze dog.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dan?
3: I have just finished season three of Westworld, so, I've prepared three facts about a robot whose story I can actually understand, and that's <laughs> Pixar's Wally. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, fact number one Wally is named after Walt Disney. Fact number two Wally appears in Babu Frick's droid workshop in The Rise of Skywalker. And fact number three Wally has been inducted into the Robot Hall of Fame. Uh, Where is this Robot Hall of Fame? I don't know if it's a physical place like uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think it might just be a ceremony every year.
0: What other robots are in there?
3: Other robots? um, Data, (laughs) R2-D2, the little one that does the hoovering on the floors. um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Rumba. (laughs) Rumba. I believe, uh, I know a fact about the Robot Hall of Fame. The Robot Hall of Fame has not been inducted into the Hall of Fame Hall of Fame. <laughs> Why the hell would there be a Hall of Fame Hall of Fame? There isn't, I've just made it up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I believe uh, the Walt Disney fact, because of how much he's he was revered and st- is still revered, I, I, I like to think that he would have been named after Walt Disney.
4: Well, they're not have called him Walt D though. Also, no one ever called Walt Disney Wally. <laughs> yeah.
1: I presume it's an acronym for something. So, like, the W. Oh, know, um,
4: Elias is his middle name, so
2: it's Walter E. Ah. Babu Frick's Workshop. Hey! hey. That, that has a ring. <laughs> that has the ring of truth about it, because there's tons of little in-jokes in, jokes in uh, particularly ILM, like uh, special effects things, um, like the droids appearing in Raiders of the Lost Ark and so on. Uh, I can definitely believe that. The Robot Hall of Fame... Hmm, that seems too easy. Yeah. Um, mm. Like obviously
4: it should be.
0: I've heard he got um, shunned from the Rubber Hall of Fame because there's some dodgy remarks made about androids back in the eighties. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're not letting It's <laughs> That's
2: why he doesn't speak anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're dissing Wall E now. <laughs> uh, jumped up pedal
4: bin.
1: The first podcast ruining childhood <laughs> memories for five years. <laughs> I am going to go for the Hall of Fame as the, as the bluff, I think, because I just totally believe the other two. So it's just a process of elimination.
0: I'm going to go for Babu Frik because at no point since the Rise of Skywalker came out, as Daniel said, that according to the Star Wars visual encyclopedia, uh, Wally is in the room of Babu <laughs> Yeah. So I'm going to go for that as a bluff.
2: I'm going to go with the first one, the Walt Disney Wally thing. Um, and only because it feels like an easy thing to make up after the fact. And like calling the robot Wally, this cute robot, kind of makes sense. Eh, I'll go with that one. I'm also
4: going for the first one just because I don't remember hearing that.
3: Well, I can reveal that John is correct. Ah. <laughs> so, um, according to the filmmakers, Wally is named after Walter Elias Disney. Boo. And while he has indeed been inducted into the Robot Hall of Fame, which is a real thing, uh, they haven't had any new inductees since 2012, so I don't think it's a thing anymore. But uh, <sighs> Data, R2-D2, and Robbie the Robot are all members of that Hall of Fame, along with lots of other actual real scientific advances in robotics. So yeah, the Babu Frick one, I did make up. Uh, as far as I'm aware... Wally does not appear in Baba Frick's droid workshop, but he uh, being Wally and R2 were both voiced by the sound designer, Ben Burt. So there is a connection with the droids of Star Wars. Anyway, Wally, much more sensible than Westworld.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey Dan, what are you doing on the 3rd of July?
3: I am going to be watching Disney Plus on a loop, I think. How about you?
1: Yeah, because the Hamilton film is coming to Disney Plus. Woo!
3: <laughs> Which is very, very thrilling and also slightly disappointing that it might not get a cinema release now because that would have been amazing.
1: I think it still will. Um, yeah. I'm disappointed it's not that way around, but um, I, don't, I don't care. I need, I need this in my life right now. So <laughs> yeah. it's I'm very
3: happy. It's going to be incredible to see the full show with the original cast.
1: People would have liked to see the theatre show before they watched the film Um, and obviously don't have the chance to do so right now. But I would sort of say Hamilton is the kind of show that really does benefit from repeat viewings. I probably enjoyed it more the third time I watched it. I I think it got better every time and it's with different casts. Peter's shaking his head crazily at me.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Did you say 3rd of July? Yes. Yep. So it's my birthday, but you two get the best present you could have wished for.
1: (laughs) Yes.
4: It's your birthday present too, Peter. (laughs) Uh, I will be watching.
1: I watch along with Dan and I.
4: (laughs) If only to find out what the two of you have been banging on about for years.
1: (laughs) John's got a new pose and he kind of looks like he is on the Titanic now.
4: (laughs) Paint me like one of your French
1: girls.
0: (laughs) I've made myself because I'm now lying on the sofa seductively Mm. for you all.
1: (laughs) Appreciate it. So now on to a special feature that has come from Dan's mind. So over to Dan.
3: Hello. So welcome to Getting to Nerd You, where I find out through the medium of asking unusual and nerdy questions a little bit more about the fellow members of the NerdFest podcast. So I'll be going in an order of my choosing and you can either answer with a couple of words, you can answer with a longer answer. If anybody else wants to jump in on somebody else's question and give their own answer as well, it'll be just as interesting to me and the world at large, I'm sure. So who would like the first question? I'll I'll have a question. Okay. Um, John, what is the nerdiest thing you've ever done?
0: Oh, so many, many nerdy things. Um. Possibly just spend about an hour or so in the Bradbury Building in Los Angeles, um, excitedly looking at every nook and cranny that was in any shot of Blade Runner and taking lots of photos while the security guards. I would like to say look bemused, but kind of looked resigned because I got the impression this is something that happens (laughs) um, quite regularly there. But um, yeah, dragging Louise across all of Los Angeles to see a building that was used in a couple of shots of a film. probably is pretty much up there. Although she enjoyed it as well. I'm sure she
3: did. I did the same for Amy in New York, for the Ghostbusters firehouse.
4: For John, I was going to suggest that spending over 100 quid on a book about Rick Baker might be pretty nerdy. (laughs) Yes,
0: I I think my most extravagant nerd purchase was back in 1996 when I spent £800 on a DVD player imported from America before they were available over here. And I think the DVDs were about 35 40 pounds each to get imported as well.
4: Whereas now you can buy one for about 30 quid.
3: Yes, that by the DVD player. Peter, uh, next question goes to you. Uh for TV, would you rather binge watch or watch one a week?
4: Uh actually, neither. Um I think about every 3 days is pretty good for me. Cuz you retain continuity from the series and remember all the detail. But um you also have time to digest it and appreciate it.
0: I think it depends on the show.
4: Yeah, the the more complex it is, the the better it is to stay within that world and not lose the detail. But um, a, a simple show you can watch every week, no problem.
0: I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that because I, I think um, Watchmen was the perfect once-a-week watch. I think if I tried to watch 10 hours of Watchmen, my head would have exploded.
2: <laughs> the once-a-week episode allows for social interaction between episodes you know like Mm -hmm. the amount of discussion game of thrones generated between episodes was huge and a huge part of the show's appeal
4: yeah you do miss everyone watching these things at the same time and having that chance to discuss it
2: all when the shows are being binged yeah yeah i was surprised that watchmen became that actually like it's the the last show since game of thrones where people have watched it as it came on avoided spoilers, you know, and then and, I and tried to engage and I ended up in tons of like little conversations about it. I do love the cultural phenomenon of a of a weekly watch. The water cooler. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think I'm more of a binger, to be honest, because I, I did binge the first four series of Game of Thrones um, back to back because I was behind... Um, and I just remember that the the adrenaline of it being 5 a.m. And it's like, nope, one more, one more. Um, mm. It's like it's kind of an experience for me just to kind of go all the way through.
2: I am watching Parks and Rec in the same way I eat uh, cashew nuts,
3: which is just <laughs> <laughs> constantly until someone <laughs> takes them away from me. So uh, next question, Hazel, mm. uh, you are hosting a hypothetical Nerdfest dinner party. Which three famous people do you get to uh, bring to the dinner party?
1: Oh, uh, that's a good question. I would say Sir Ian McKellen, definitely got to be there. Um, you all know what one more is going to be. Uh, <laughs> Mister <Hemsworth. laughs> <laughs> Or maybe he could be like the naked butler. Um,
2: <laughs> Ian McKellen would appreciate that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Probably Catherine Bigelow as well, because I find her very inspirational um, and I, w- I would just love to, to learn all about how she has coped the wrong word, but how she's um, been able to do what she has in a predominantly male industry, uh, how she comes up with her ideas, um, what she's got planned for the future. I'd love to pick a brain about that. So yeah, Catherine Bigelow, Sir Ian and Chris Hensworth for nice. aesthetic reasons. <laughs> <laughs> No, he's funny.
3: Ian, a similar question, but your dinner party takes place in the void, so you can invite fictional characters. Which three fictional characters are coming to the void dinner party? Leslie Nope. (laughs) I'm not sure if I got Leslie Nope and Liz
2: Lemon in the same place if that would work out. It would probably be quite calamitous. But I think Leslie deserves it, you know? I think Leslie would have a thoroughly good time with some fancy food, uh, and that would be good. Lawyer Matt Murdock. Daredevil. Um, he does a lot of good legal work in New York. He's, he's a very unsung, low-level guy. Doesn't, you know, nothing else uh, spectacular about him, obviously. I've got a lifelong respect for what he does. And an Optimus prime. He wouldn't eat much. And he'd, he'd <laughs> probably be a probably be good conversation. <laughs> I
0: would throw Hannibal Lecter in there, because um, if you look from the TV series, he made some amazing food. And as long as you don't think about too hard about what the ingredients are
2: i i did actually get some cooking tips from watching that show like <laughs> t- absolutely the 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 kitchen work in that is remarkable it's like an MS advert if MS sold murder
3: well it wouldn't just be murder
0: be MS murder
3: thank you john <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> uh, john what is your earliest nerd fest memory
0: i specifically re- remember being in the bar, I think at Alphabet Theatre talking about doing a podcast um and putting elaborate plans together over several beers, which unlike most elaborate plans put together over several beers actually came together. <laughs> so that was a that, that's probably my one of my earliest memories. And I remember um going to see Arrival with Ian Mack and um him being very excited about seeing Arrival. And then at the edge of the I go, well, that was shit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also remember going to see Jurassic World, which I think might be the second film we went to see. And mm. um, Peter not realising it was 3D. And he was like, ah, is like the film has started. And he leapt like with Olympian <laughs> athleticism over about four seats in front of us. To, so he wouldn't miss a second of the film and came back with his glasses.
4: <laughs> I've never moved as fast
0: since. <laughs> A friend of mine went to um, Disney World and came back and said, like, all the rides were shit and was complaining about all the rides with the panels and they just being really blurry and everything. And somehow she got through her entire Disney World holiday going on, like, Terminator 2 3D and <laughs> Muppets 3D <laughs> without realising that they were not just handing out sunglasses for some random reason. <laughs>
1: And that brings us to the end of another NerdFest episode. Thank you very, very much for, for listening. All 60 episodes, I assume, you've uh, been listening to. We'll be back in two weeks' time with more recommendations, uh, more features. In the meantime, you can check us out on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. And also, if you have the time and inclination, it'd be great if you could leave us a, a little review. And John's got a very, very, very special prize for people who do that. What, what is it today, John?
0: Yes, I'm going to dress up in a 1970s gorilla suit, hide myself inside a 40-foot robot gorilla and post myself to you, knock on your door and run away very slowly.
1: Motivation as ever. (laughs) So we will see you in two weeks' time. Uh, Until then, you've been listening to...
3: A man who'll ride historic on the Fury Road. A man who is a vague copy of Buck Rogers.
4: A man with a statue that doesn't look like him in Bucharest. A man who can cook a Michelin-starred meal whilst riding his scooter.
1: (laughs) And a woman who can't wait to see what the next five years have in store for Nerdfest. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye!
0: I apologise for that tangent caused by a misnaming of the director. of <laughs>
1: Well, as I was, as I was saying um, before we started recording that um, Andy and I made Toad in the Hole last night, but it'll now forever be known as Hoad in the Toll because that's what Andy called it just once. <laughs> so now uh, forever it's going to be uh, Hoad yeah. in the Toll. <laughs> and the dish
0: will never be eaten again. Hoad in the Toll is the uh, name of my sex tape.
1: Yeah, okay, moving on. <laughs> yeah.